John chapter 13, we'll begin in verse 21. And it says there, And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it unto Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into Judas. And, and Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now, no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this to him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, By those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then received this up, went immediately out, and it was night, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. A lot of glory there in those two verses as that scene wraps up. Uh, we are... Looking at this scene, and we're told, we, we kind of ended there last week, that at this dinner, Jesus has made known that there's going to be one to betray him. In, uh, in verse 2, it is said, supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Judas, the son of um, Simon to betray him. But at this point now, Jesus is well aware of this. He's troubled, it says, in his spirit. And he says, one of you shall betray me. Now, Jesus, it's interesting as we watch him. He didn't like it when the religious leaders or political powers victimized anyone. He came into the temple precincts and overturned the tables of the money changers because they were taking advantage of the people. He looked at the Pharisees and Sadducees and he called them a brood of vipers. He told the hypocrites who would stone the woman caught in adultery, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. He said at the meal at the, the house of Lazarus, Simon's house of Simon the leper, Mary, Martha and Lazarus is there, and Judas starts to pick on her. Jesus said, let her alone. So he kind of, but this is, the picture has changed now, where this betrayal and this attitude is coming on him personally. He's going to bear it in this scene where it comes 
upon him. Now, Judas is always associated with the betrayal, obviously. I've never dedicated a Judas here in all the years I've been here. And we have this word through the New Testament, betray, betrayed, betrayal, betrayeth, 43 times, and it's always in those 43, it's used in other times, but those 43, it's attached to Judas, 43 times. So he is known as the betrayer. He can't get rid of that. That is tagged on him. And Jesus is troubled, I believe, as we move into this, there's a man and his eternity is at stake. It isn't just he's being betrayed that troubles him because he knows. He's troubled when he looks at an eternity that is at stake. And it's it's in the passive there. It says he became troubled. The idea is the trouble took hold of him and shook him down to his spirit. You know, you and I talk about forgiveness and sin and eternity going to heaven, but Jesus, the eternal one who came from glory, was the one who really understood the depth the sobriety, the truth of eternity. And he looks at this guy sitting at the table with him who is going to betray him. And he knows in that betrayal, he's turning away. He'll be lost. And this is a guy who sat with him for years. This is a guy who broke bread with him. This is a guy who listened to the studies you and I don't have, and he listened to all the red letters in your Bible and the Gospels. This is a guy who saw Jesus rebuke the wind and the sea. This is a guy who watched the demoniac. This is a guy who saw you know, lepers cleansed, lame healed. Uh, this is a guy who watched Jesus rebuke the wind and the sea. This is a guy who was sent out with authority to heal the sick and so forth. This is a guy who was at all those things. He had the conversations we've never heard about. He watched what made Jesus smile, the twinkle in his eye. He listened to the intonation of his voice. This guy, he says, was his own familiar friend in the, in the Psalms, looking forward. Sat at his table with him and had lifted up his heel against him. And Jesus is troubled as he looks at eternity. And he looks at this one who had been with him these years. And it tells us as they're sitting around the table, 22, you know, it says, now there was leaning on Jesus. I'm sorry, 22 says, now the disciples looked one another, doubting of whom he spake. The other gospels tell us, Matthew 26, Mark 14, they started to say, is it I, Lord? Is it I? They're looking at each other. They realize they all had the potential to mess something up. Is it I? Is it I? And it tells us even Judas, who knew it was him, the ultimate hypocrisy, said to him, Is it I, Lord? Even Judas. Jesus is so disturbed about this, so troubled. It tells us in Matthew 26, Mark 14, he said, it, The one who's going to betray me, it would have been better for him if he had never been born. In other words, non-existence would have been better than eternal existence in outer darkness and suffering. To have never existed in the first place is painless. 
to come into existence and then turn from God and be lost forever. He says it had been better if he had never been born. He's troubled. Now, as we look at the scene here, John leaning on his breast says there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. The culture is, uh, helps us a little bit in the picture here. Um, you have the table called a triclinium. If you're looking at it from above. It's shaped like a rectangle, but the bottom end is open. So the people that are serving can walk in and put out food. They would be spread around this table and couches would have been put in place. And there was a large pillow for each of them to lean on. They would lean on their right, on their left side, eat with their right hand. At the head, and people want to argue sometimes where that would be, but the three, the three couches on the end of the table, the, the, this top end, those would be the seats of honor. Jesus, no doubt, was in the middle. He played the role of the host throughout this dinner. On his right hand, which is the highest place of honor there at the table, was John. On his left side, the other place of honor was Judas Iscariot. Maybe that's why the disciples had argued who would sit on his right hand, his left hand, who would be greatest. And it tells us John is in that position of leaning on his bosom. It's locative in the language. It means John is right there by his chest. If John's on his left hand, he could look over his shoulder and talk to Jesus right there, leaning on him. And it says the person that was in that place, John, just calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't name himself. Uh, in chapter 19 at the cross, it says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved. In chapter 20, it says, Then she runneth and, and uh, cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is resurrection morning. That's their interesting filio, whom Jesus was fond of. And then in chapter 21, it tells us there, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. All through, he doesn't name himself. Isn't it interesting? He just identifies himself as the one who Jesus loved. Then finally, in the end of chapter 21, it says, then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following which also had leaned on his breast at the supper. So finally then, John identifies himself in his writing as the one Jesus loved who had leaned upon his breast. And just think of it. He's, he's the youngest of the disciples. He's somewhere between 17 and 20, most likely, by the, how long he's lived in writing at this point in time. And he's like Mary. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. But Mary got hold of something. Mary was just tweaked his heart in a different way. And John is like that. John is the one who perceives, who thinks. And John is young. And it must be for like John to identify himself. And, you know, there's that disciple who Jesus loves, you know. And just all the time knowing that was him, that Jesus had a special place in his heart for this young, young man. 
What an interesting picture. So they're at this triclinium. They're seated around it. And this disciple whom Jesus loved, who would be at the cross when the others weren't, who would take care of his mother, Mary, and so forth. It says there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Look in 24. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. Now, we know Simon Peter's not right next to John because he'd lean back and talk to John like Jesus leaned back and talked to Jesus. So Peter's somewhere else at the table. And when he asked, when he, when he, he, Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me. Peter, it says, beckoned. Now, it's a funny word. He gave a sign, hand motions. He, he looked at John and went, <laughs> you know, ask him, you know, rolled his eyes, you know. He, he beckoned. He did something. He, you know, he, he, he beckons John. And John knows they've been together for years. He beckons to him that he should ask who, of whom he was speaking. He then, now look, lying on Jesus' breast, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So he, you know, he's, they're not asking out of, you know, idle curiosity or meddling in something here. They both have a deep personal concern for Jesus, who said that he was going to be betrayed that night. And John evidently then leans over his shoulder. Jesus is right there. Says he leans on his breast. And I wonder, is that literal? The language allows it. Uh, This young disciple whom Jesus loved. It seems he was completely comfortable just to lean back on Jesus' breast and talk to him. Did he smell the spikenard that Mary had anointed him with? Sometimes I wonder, did he hear the heartbeat of God as he leaned there? He said, who is it, Lord? Who's going to do this? And the Lord says to him, the one that I give the sop to, that I'll dip it and hand it to, that's the one that will betray me. And he dips the sop and he gives it to Judas Iscariot. Now understand, Jesus could have said, who is it? You know, the guy next to me. Uh, he could have said, Dodge Judas. Who do you think it is? But there's no indignation with Jesus when he gives that answer. There's no vitriol. But there's the sop. Now understand, this is the only time in, in the New Testament in this scene where the word sop is used. But in the culture, at this kind of a dinner, if the host were to dip the sop, probably in in bitter herbs and salty water first, and then in this other bowl with, uh, with figs and raisins. It was sweet, going from the bitterness to the sweetness. And then you were to hand that to someone. That was a special mark of honor. You were pledging your friendship to that person. You were telling them how much 
you love them. And Jesus, instead of just pointing Judas out and humiliate him, he offers him the sob. Judas, here's my pledge of friendship, of love, of goodwill. And of course, all the other guys sitting there watching that didn't hear John are thinking, he's honoring him. He loves him. And this is who Jesus is, you know. When I'm betrayed, I don't do so well. But I don't have to do this good because I ain't Jesus. But because this was perfection betrayed, I shouldn't be surprised if I myself, a little less than perfection, is going to be betrayed as well. And it's difficult. We need to watch him. Sometimes you are betrayed when you're innocent. You didn't do what people are gossiping about or what you're accused of. You're, you're, you're innocent of what the betrayal is. Sometimes it's someone close, a wife, a husband, a family member, a best friend. And betrayal hurts and it's difficult. And it's genuine and it seeks deep into our emotions. And you and I want to, you know, we want to just lash back. That's why the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's difficult when it's someone you've poured your life into. Maybe someone you've spent so much time with. You've heard they got saved. You've got them commentaries. You've got them Bibles. You've Christian music, Christian salt and pepper shakers. You know, you've done everything. You've nursed them along. And for some reason, at some point, they turn on you. They betray you. Maybe it's someone whose feet you've washed. And they lift up their heel against you. You're willing to take the lower place in their lives to speak to them, to minister to them. And they betray you. I think Jesus holding out the sop, it's the last appeal. He's troubled. He sees eternity in outer darkness for Judas. Instead of embarrassing him, he, he holds the sop out. My friend, I have goodwill for you. I love you. And understand at that moment, Judas could have broken down. He could have refused the sop and ran out into the night like Peter, weeping bitterly, knowing what he did was wrong, that he had been listening to the enemy. It says that Satan had put it into his heart. At that point, he could just hung his head and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm not even worthy. You know, th- those things could have happened and Christ would have forgiven him. He could have done that. See, it was hypocrisy for him just to take this up and act like he was the person being honored when all along he knew he was the snake. Jesus hands out. And look, Judas understand in this situation, 
Nobody ever gets over on Jesus. You have to understand that. He was betraying himself. He was betraying his position as a disciple. He was betraying his future. He was betraying his eternity. When someone treats Jesus that way, they're only harming themselves. Imagine if he'd have broke here and asked forgiveness. He'd have seen the cross. It would have happened some way. He'd have seen the resurrection. He'd have been with Jesus those 40 days being taught about the kingdom. He'd have watched the ascension. Would he have written the epistle of Judas or the gospel of Judas? And he'd have stood in that holy city and seen his name in one of the 12 foundation stones. And none of that was there because he betrayed himself. He only ruined himself by trying to ruin Jesus. It's so sad as we look at it. You imagine what his future might have been. Instead, he lifted up his heel against him. And it says then, verse 27, that after he received the sop, Satan entered into him then Jesus said on him, that thou doest, do quickly. He receives the sop. He crossed the last line there. That sop was saying something. He didn't want to hear what it said, but he didn't want to, in, the, in front of the other disciples, he was playing the hypocrite. I, you know, I'm sure he was humiliated by Jesus at, when, when Judas at, at the, the dinner had said with Mary and Martha and so forth, why, why this waste of the money? This could have been sold. It could have been given to the poor as a year's wage. It says the other disciples were drug right into it. And Jesus said, let her alone. You're going to have the poor with you always. But what this woman has done is going to be a testimony throughout the ages. And he kind of humiliated, because of Judas's pride, him in front of his peers. And no doubt that was grinding on him here. And it says, Satan entered into him. Now, Satan only enters into Judas and the Antichrist in the New Testament. They're the only two. And with both of them, when Satan enters into Judas, he doesn't start growling and spitting up ectoplasm and his head doesn't spin around, you know. Satan enters in, he looks the same. Satan enters in and and doesn't change the appearance of Judas, except for when Jesus leaned over to give him the sop, and he took the sop, did Jesus see the eyes of Satan glaring at him through Judas? Jesus was troubled. And here you have the two greatest foes in existence, God in human flesh and Satan face to face, Judas hanging in the balance. Did Jesus, as he looked over his shoulder and gave him the sop, did he see those eyes glaring at him? I don't know. I think about it. Satan entered into him. Certainly Jesus knew that. He must have told the guys later, hey, at that moment, because John writes about it. Satan enters into him. And the Lord then says, literally, what you are doing, do more quickly. That, that's the sense of it. What you are doing, there's a present tense, 
then it's a do imperative, do more quickly. You need to do it more. So the interesting thing as we look at that is the betrayer is not setting the table. The betrayer doesn't have his, his hands on the steering wheel. Satan doesn't have his hands on the steering wheel. Jesus steps up to the plate and gives the orders. And both of them have to kowtow to him and obey him. He says, what you're doing, now do it more quickly. And they, they, they obey him, the one who would hang on the cross. He's calling the shots. He knows where he's at. And it says then the other disciples, they didn't know why he said that. Because all the guys around the table, you know, John leaned over and said, Lord, who's the one? And the Lord says, you know, the one I'm going to give this up to. All the other guys, they're talking, telling Hebrew jokes and laughing. You know, you know how the table is with 12 guys laying on their side, eating until they're ready to pass out. You know, uh, the, the other guys didn't know. And they, and they didn't know then, you know, why Jesus said that. What, what you're doing, do it, do it quickly. And it says, no man at the table knew, verse 28, for what intent he spake it. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, he was a treasurer, the money bag, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast. The feast is coming up. It's here. It was seven days. It wasn't just the Passover. Unleavened bread it was a seven-day feast. It began on the 14th of Nisan. So they thought, well, the, the things we're going to need, are, he must be sending Judas out for that. He said, or the other thing maybe they're thinking he's doing, that he should give something to the poor because he cares about the poor. He said, we could, we could have sold the spike nard and given the money to the poor. This is a guy who's magnanimous and, and tender and he cares about the poor. Of course, the interesting thing at this time in Passover, it's night, it's dark, and normally, uh, at the end of the day, when the sun began to set, the doors of the temple were locked. They were shut and locked. But on Passover, they were left open for the lame, for the beggars, for the blind. And in the nighttime, they were allowed to come into the temple. So they might think, well, he's going out to give something to the poor this Passover night. It says then, he having received the sop went immediately. Now he had to go immediately because Jesus told him, what you're doing, do it quickly. There's no delay. He went immediately out and it was night. I don't, I don't think that's just time of the day. Certainly it is. It's literally, it was literally night. But Jesus from chapter one in John's gospel is the light of men. He's the one, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness. He tells them, you know, that, that he's the one that gives light. So even the New Testament tells us when we're saved, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It says Judas immediately went out and it was night. He never saw another sunrise. He would commit suicide that night. And it's still night for him in eternal darkness. Jesus was troubled over it. Jesus had offered him the sop. And he took it in pride and hypocrisy. And it didn't touch his heart. Satan enters into the picture. And Judas goes out and John tells us, it was night. 
And it would be night in his experience. It would be night in his death. It would be night in his eternity. And he would have been better if he had never been born. Interesting as it's brought before us. Now, as that takes place, it says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, not through him, in him, not by him, in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Five times there it talks about the glory of God. Get to chapter 17, we'll hear Jesus mention that in his priestly prayer there, that he has glorified the Father, now glorify me and so forth. What he's doing here is he's saying this, and for all of us we need to to understand what Jesus is doing because there's an application in our own lives. He's saying, yes, I've been betrayed. Yes, evil seems to be taking control of the situation. Yes, what happened was wrong. But the treachery of Judas, he wants them to understand, has not thwarted the work of God. The treachery, the treachery, the treachery of Judas is accomplishing the work of God. The betrayal of Judas is not thwarting the work of God. The betrayal of Judas is accomplishing the work of God. And in that work being accomplished, Jesus is moving in a divine timetable. And now his hour had finally come. Now the hour has come and the power of darkness. He understands. But God is going to be glorified. Guys, you know, he's saying, I don't want you to think that because this just happened that the plan is over. You know, that's what Satan's thinking, no doubt. If I can get this cooking and I can get him handed over, I can get him crucified, which was the most ignominious, the most, you know, humiliating way to die in the Roman Empire. You weren't allowed to talk about crucifixion at a proper Roman table or dinner. And, and crucifixion was like the gas chamber. It was like the electric chair, only it was more painful and it lasted for days. And the enemy, no doubt, is thinking, I get him crucified. His reputation will slide into oblivion. The men who have followed him will say, what were we doing? They'll turn away and they'll leave. And Jesus says, no. This is not about any of that. This is now going to accomplish the glory of God. And no doubt it's at this point, after Judas leaves, he establishes the Last Supper. And in context of that glory, he says, when you break this bread, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. When you drink this cup, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians 11, and the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks and he broke bread. I think Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Certainly the scripture tells us that. 
And I think he still offers the sop. There's people who have hated him, people who have been mean-spirited, people maybe you've, you know, have come here, guys have come and you know, they met some girl that comes to our church. She's attractive. And she said, well, I, I don't I can't date an unbeliever. Uh, and he said, praise the Lord, baby. I'm a believer. You know, and they just, you know, there's people come and play the role. Kids come for their parents, parents come, you know. But if people are sitting here and you don't know Christ, you've never been born again. Don't have the wrong idea who God is because it tells us here he's troubled. He never changes. He's troubled about your eternity. Your eternal eternity is as eternal as Judas's. And he loves you. And he's troubled about your unsaved life. He's troubled that the world we live in tells us a thousand other things. Forget about God. Forget about those Christians. They're all crazy. Forget about, you know, just, and, and he's troubled about it. Because eternity's at stake, and none of the people out there that say those things understand eternity at all. You see, Judas will see Jesus two more times. He'll see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he'll come, and he'll kiss the Lord. And Jesus will say to him, friend, the sop he had offered at the table. Betray us the son of man with a kiss. Ultimate hypocrisy. And Judas then, overwhelmed, will go out, not repentant. He'll go out and hang himself. You see, they were both hung. Different trees. Different destinies. From that dinner, Judas was hung and Jesus was hung. Different trees. Different destinies. And as I think of the world that we live in, John had told us earlier, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God Almighty is holding out the sop to the world we live in. He's holding out his son, Jesus Christ, and saying in this sop, in this bread, the bread of life, I pledge my love, I pledge my forgiveness. I pledge my friendship. If you're here today and you don't know Christ personally, that's who he is. He's not the guy up in the, in the, uh, the man upstairs with a rule book. He's not the guy with a pistol saying dance. <laughs> he's leaning towards you. And he's troubled over you. And he's offering you the sob. You can walk away from it. You can head off without it. But the Bible says today's the acceptable day of salvation. And, and look, the sad thing with Judas is he's so familiar. but never converted. He's so near and so far away at the same time. 
He looks eye to eye. You know, well, if I could see God or I could see miracles, people will do that. No, no, Judas did all of that. Did all of it. And when he looked into the eyes of Christ, there was no anger or vitriol, none of that. No, no doubt there may have been tearful eyes that Jesus offers him the sob. Come to me. I'm making a pledge. I love you. And Judas took it hypocritically. Well, you know, forget about what everybody else was thinking. And then the enemy entered into him. I would encourage you as we end. First of all, you guys, the rest of you, read ahead. Great place to be. If someone betrays you, remember Jesus has finally taken us to the place where he says, here's my new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. That's impossible, Lord. Thank you. You But these are the last sayings of this night. We're all going to experience betrayal. If you've been alive longer than 15 minutes, you've experienced betrayal. Betrayal is troubling. It was troubling to Jesus. And it is troubling. And it's difficult. And you can go to him. Paul talks about, you know, if I might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. When we're betrayed... There is someone we can go to who understands that better than anyone. In fact, on the cross, he's going to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Left me in the lurch. And the greatest, in, in one sense, betrayal of eternity takes place there because his father lays on him the iniquity of us all and turns away. Jesus understands betrayal. He understands it to a depth that no one here will ever understand it. So when that's going on, our family, our friends, our marriage, whatever it might be, we can go to him. We can go to him. Don't, you know, don't get out the ax or the shotgun. Go to Jesus. We think those things. That's the only way I could say it. If those were concepts I didn't understand, I couldn't talk to you about it. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus... You have to listen to your heart today because he's still offering the sob. The Bible says he never changes. He's the same. And if you'll ask his forgiveness today and ask him to be your savior, he'll receive you. He's troubled over you. He's troubled over your destiny. He's troubled over your future. Not selfishly. He doesn't need another, you know, token on his mantelpiece or something, a prize. He loves you. And he understands how high the stakes are. And we bumble through life and don't sometimes at all. He understands eternity perfectly. And he knows when one soul is saved, that's why all of heaven rejoices. One soul. When one soul is saved, it changes eternity because that soul is saved forever. And when a soul refuses him, doesn't matter what the news says, doesn't matter what human beings say, the soul that refuses him and dies unforgiven has a different eternity in outer darkness and tears, gnashing of teeth.
God doesn't want that for us. That's why he gave his son, that whoever would believe will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is not some story. This is not some, you know, this is not some religious game we're playing. This is not, hey, everybody, we're passing around the bucket for three. This is the three bucket Sunday or something. No, no. No, we're here to study the word. We're here to worship Jesus. We're here to hear what he would have to say to us. And he'll be speaking to your heart this morning if you don't know him. And the one that will be speaking is the one who offers. Let's stand. So the musicians come, we'll pray and then we'll sing a song together. And this is what I want to do. Look, I don't care what your impressions of God have been up to this point. Truth, he loves you. I don't care what other Christians have said. Truth, he loves you. I don't care what priests or pastors or whatever anybody said. Truth, he loves you. And he's not trying to get you to church. He's trying to get you to heaven. Once he does that, all the rest falls in place. And if you don't know him today, he's not like distant or, oh, no. You know, he's, he's troubled. He's troubled over you and your eternity, your lostness. So if you're ready to change that today, as we sing this last song, we're going to ask you to do, as we're worshiping, get out of your pew, come down and stand here. If you came with a friend, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. And in doing that, you're saying, you know what, Lord, I want your forgiveness. He says, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature to read, but you have to make the decision, the sop. Is in front of you. Do you reject it? Do you accept it? Father, we settle our hearts. Lord, this scene is deep and it's beautiful and tragic. And there's so many things here, Lord. No doubt John, 90 years later, 90 years old, seeing this like it just happened, engraved on his heart and his mind. And thank you for that, Lord, because it's come now down to us this morning as you have, unchanged, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, this is a bigger table, no doubt. But Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move on the hearts of those that you're troubled about, Lord. It's beyond us, Lord. Your word says you add to the church daily, such as should be saved. So Lord, gather in your lost sons and daughters this morning, Lord Jesus. We leave it in your hands. Be blessed in our worship, we pray in your name. Amen. If you know he's talking today as we worship, you come. Come.
I'm going to ask one more time. Look, I was lost in drugs and immorality. My life was a, a train wreck. And he came to me there, the music I listened to, the friends I had, and he touched my life. Church never did. Pastors never did. Jesus did. And it doesn't matter if you're in addiction. It doesn't matter if there's blood on your hands. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you look at. It doesn't matter. He paid for that all on the cross. He's offering you salvation. Do this. Please don't listen to me. Just a short resume of my background. You realize you shouldn't. (laughs) But listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. If he's telling you today he loves you. And he wants you to come. Then you come. Let's sing through again. One more time, just an opportunity for, for those of you that might think, I can't, this really can't be for me. He doesn't, he doesn't really, you know, this stuff, this church stuff. We're not talking about church stuff. We're talking about a person who's risen from the dead who loves you and paid the price for you. Let's sing through again. Listen to the words. You come. And are you hurt and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of the sin Jesus is calling And have you come to the end of yourself? And do you thirst for a dream from the well? Jesus is going to uh, be going our way. But if you're here and you're on the tippy toes of making that decision, I encourage you to come. Look, these folks have come. Eternity has changed. And the heart of Christ over them is not troubled. It's rejoicing. But for those of you that are still refusing his salvation, his forgiveness, listen in your heart. If he's pleading with you because he loves you, you come. If you were standing there thinking, God, if this is real, let him ask one more time. There it is. (laughs) Anyone else? Suicidal thoughts, abused when you grew up, can't trust anybody. Trust Jesus. You can trust him. Anyone? 
Well, let's do this. I'm going to ask you guys to pray a simple prayer with me. You can pray it in your heart. It doesn't have to be out loud. Just do it genuinely. That's all God wants. And then wait for a second. We want to give you a copy of the scripture and some things to read. But let's pray this. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm tired of trying to do it on my own, Lord. I'm empty. I know I need forgiveness. And today, Lord, I hear that you love me. And I have no idea why you would ever do that. But, Lord, in faith, I'm, I'm receiving that. And today, Lord, I hear you hung on a cross. You bore my sin so I can be forgiven. I have no idea why you would ever do that, Lord. But I'm taking hold of that, Lord, in faith. So cleanse me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Give me a new beginning. Fill me with your spirit. Make me your child. Be my personal Lord. Be my personal Savior. Be my Father and my friend and my King and my God. Lord, I give you my life. I can hardly believe you want it, but I give you my life. Lord, let me walk with you every day. Teach me to love your word, Lord, and thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for heaven. And thank you for life beyond the grave, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.